right. Praise God for his mercy and his goodness. We're going to go ahead and get started uh, in the word. As always, we begin with the reading of Psalms uh, 27, starting at verse one, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes come came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and failed, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this, will I be confident? One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. May the Lord always, always, always grant a blessing to those that uh, read and hear and particularly do his word. Amen. I think we always say the blessing is in the obedience to the word of God. You don't want to just be a hearer. Okay. You want to be a doer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. I don't want the word to just go in one ear and then uh, either go out the other or just sit there. Yeah, yeah, maybe I internalize it. Um, either way, that's not, amen, that's not what um, what we want from the Lord. We don't want um, a situation where, um, you know, where we go dormant on God. We want to, we, we always want to be found in obedience. Now, the word of God, um, our lesson um, has, has given us a lesson here. And we've been talking about the God who lets us find him or finding God. And we gave context. We said that um, although we talk about finding God and many times people will talk about finding God and there's nothing wrong with that. So I don't want you to, if you hear someone say that, or if you've said that, I don't want you to feel bad about having said that or, or feel as though that you've been making this huge um, spiritual error by saying something like that. Um, we just want to add some context so that we understand the word of God teaches us that 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 with everything that we get all of our getting in all of that we got to get an understanding why because the lord also told us that his people perish for lack of knowledge okay so that means that people are not making it people are 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 are, are missing heaven amen simply because of a lack of knowledge in other words they don't know something something that's crucial, something that's critical. And that thing that they don't know is the way of the most high. God has given us his word, amen. But 
for as much as God has given us his word, and then he's given us his spirit to, 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 to make, to, um, to make sense of that word for us. Amen. But for as much as we have this available, you would think that we would all have be in possession of it. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are not. Okay. The word of God is available and family. It's, it's, it's readily available, but so many people live their lives today and they are missing the word of God all day long. It's there in spades. It is just, I mean, it's a truckload of it. It's just, it's just right there, but yet for it being right there, we miss it nonetheless. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be those that miss it. So we thank God, um, that, um, that he lets us find him, which really just means that he, um, <clears throat> he makes himself visible to us or discernible to us. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And that's not something that we want to ever, uh, ever take for, for granted. God can keep itself hidden. And we've learned about all that. Now, when we get into our word, we talked about, um, quite a few things. Um, last week we really got into, um, um, talking about fallow ground. Okay. And <clears throat> we learned a lot about uh, fallow ground. In fact, we actually thought that was going to be the last lesson um, in that series, but um, thought we were going to be able to wrap that up. But it was just so much in there that God just kept giving and kept pouring out and, and, and we just kept feasting on what God had. So here we are in our sixth lesson. Amen. And, um, um, in our sixth lesson, those of you who, um, who are in attendance, the slide says five, but it's actually the sixth one. Um, so as to not confuse you, I'll go back one. Um, we are in our, uh, sixth, uh, lesson here, uh, as we are talking about the God who lets us find him. It has led us into talking about all sorts of things. Okay. In verse number nine, David says, hide not thy face far from me. And we've dealt with that. Put not thy servant away in anger. We dealt with that. Thou has been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Now, David says, thou has been my help. Okay. Now, and, and, and he tells God, neither, he says, he says, leave me not, neither forsake me. When we got, when we dug into the, the, the neither forsake me, the words that we, or the, the, the depth that we came up against or came into was what was nestled within the word forsake, which means to abandon or to leave behind, or to leave fallow, okay? So when David said, leave me not, okay, neither forsake me, we discovered that he wasn't saying, leave me not, leave me not, because forsake means to abandon, which is to leave. That, that, that literally is to leave it abandoned. So when we first look at that phrasing, we said it could be interpreted as David saying, leave me not, leave me not. But what we discovered is, is that the meaning was actually deeper than that. The second, when he says, neither forsake me, although that is, does deal with leaving, abandoning or leaving. So that's where we get the second, leave me not. But what it actually also meant was to leave fallow. And that phrase leave fallow within that definition is what brought us to another level, so to speak, within our, our text, okay? To, and and so we spent a lot of time 
talking about fallow ground. We discovered that fallow ground exists in the positive and in the negative. So there is a good uh, sense, okay? And there is a negative sense. That when we say a good sense and a negative sense, what we're talking about is that in the context of God, okay, in the arena of God, there are, there are two different scenarios in which fallow ground comes into play. In one scenario, the positive, it is God using it strategically and purposefully, amen, okay, in order to grow your faith. And we talked about this is, this is more akin to you studying a subject, right, putting in the time, putting in the work for this subject that you've been studying, and then all of a sudden test time comes. Okay, so we gave you the analogy on last week and we said, think about it just like school. You've done all that work and now it's test time. And the purpose of the test we discovered is not to hurt you, it's not to destroy you, and it's not to embarrass you. But what it is there for is to expose you to what you don't know or how, if well, you actually know something and then to let you know, hey, it's time to move on. Because if you know the subject very well and you ace the test, then guess what? You're now ready to move to the next arena, okay? You're ready, you're ready to move on. You're ready to move on to new lessons, to learn new things. But if you flunk the test, if you don't do so hot on the test, then what the test results are going to reveal is that you got some work to do that I have some work to do. Okay. And, it, and, and um, I've got some studying, I've got some learning, I've got all of these different things. And in the arena of God, that means, you know what, I've got some more areas of, of surrender that I need to come to, to the will and to the way of God. Okay. I've got to start relying on God more. I've got to pray more. I've got to stay in the word more. I've got to speak the word, to use the word. Many times we fail and we falter. You know why? Because we don't use the word. I mean, we read the word and we even take the time to memorize the word. But then when test time comes, the first thing we forget, I don't know why it is, but it, it seems like the first thing we forget is the word. So we'll have the word. We'll, we will have gone to Bible studies. We will have been taking in lessons and all of these things. And that's wonderful. But then test time comes. And the, the, the last thing that we do is connect the dots between all of the lessons that God has been giving us with the present situation. And there's a reason, and, and, I, and I said this before, I will say this again, many times, family and friends, when we are learning the word of God, maybe you're in church and the word is being preached, okay? Or maybe you're in a classroom and it's being, it's being taught. Maybe you're listening to this, this, to, to this podcast. Maybe you're listening to this lesson somewhere in the world. I don't know where you might be listening to it or when you might be listening to it. But the point is, is that via different means, you're bringing in the word of God. Now, the subject that we're talking about in this lesson, finding God or the God who finds us in this, lets us, lets us find him, rather, the God who lets us find him, or maybe you're in church or somewhere else and you're getting a different lesson. Now, that lesson might not be relevant to the current situation you're in. Things could be all good, or you could be actually in a legitimate situation. And it's just that what you're learning right now does not directly apply to what you are presently going through. And that's okay. 
you're getting the lesson, but the lesson is not applicable to what you're going through right now. What we don't often understand is, is, is that God will give you lesson, give you direction in advance of you ever coming across the situation or the scenario or circumstance where you need to use it. So you're getting a lesson today on the God who lets us find him or finding God and how God does that. But it could possibly be very well possibly be that it won't be for a while yet that you actually run into a situation or a circumstance where what's being taught in this lesson is usable. The point is, is this, many times when we're, see, when we're receiving the word of God, we don't at the time of receiving it always take and play out in our mind the circumstance and the situation where we're going to need to use that word. We don't always, we don't always do that, okay? We just don't always do that, okay? Sometimes and so what will happen is, is, is that many times we'll get into a circumstance, a situation, and then our mind, because we, our mind, when it should go back and grab the lesson that God gave us in the past, because now it is relevant, sometimes many of us run into problems because that connection is not being made. We're receiving this word. Okay. But we're not keeping this word in the batter circle. Okay. It's not on deck. In other words, we, we take it, oh man, I can't really use it. So what do I do? I'll go put it on a shelf. Well, no, even if you can't use the word today, even if it's not usable for that circumstance today, it doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't take time to ponder the word that we've received. I might not be able to use it today. It might be for a time yet to come. But it is still worth mulling over and pondering and talking to God and asking questions about it to God, keeping those things. And, and I want to encourage someone who will read the word, who's hearing the word, receiving these lessons. When you hear these lessons, okay, or God sends someone to give you the word of God, the challenge for you and for me is to not let the word stay right where it is simply because when we received it, it wasn't usable or applicable to our current situation. No, don't do that. We should not do that. Let's make sure that we talk to God and we keep the word going and, we, and we're having dialogue. That's what God wants us to do, to talk to him about his word and let him explain stuff to, to us. And, and, and that's a good thing. And I guarantee you something, if we do that, because, and I know this for a fact, because it, this is exactly what's happened every time when I have done this. There've been times where I dropped the ball, but when I didn't drop the ball and I took the word and I just mulled over it and I kept going with the word of God, okay, then a circumstance came up and I've had to use it. Believe it or not, as I'm, when I'm teaching these lessons, God gives, the, gives, gives me a word to teach and I begin to share this word with you. There are some times I have to go back and I have to replay the lessons because many times when we're teaching, God gives something right there in the moment something that I didn't plan to talk about when I'm studying or, or whatever. Or, and he'll give that to me in a moment and it'll speak something. And I have to go back and re and replay from time to time, some of the lessons and some of the cert, the things, the topics that we've gone through to make sure that I keep the word on at the forefront. I'm not listening to myself. I, I can care less about what I sound like, but what I'm listening to is the word of God.
Why? Because I've had to do that and, and have found that situation would come up maybe a week or two later. And, bef- and, and the very thing that God spoke to us through, you know, through a lesson past, I, past had I not reminded myself of what God had said, then when the test came, I would have been unprepared to use it. So family, you want to be prepared for the tests? Keep the word going. Keep the word going. Even if you can't use it today, keep it going. Amen. So we've learned about all of these things about fallow ground. Amen. And we learned how Jesus told us about um, that. We learned that fallow ground has different contexts. So there's a good context where God uses it to grow you. And then there's the negative context where God, where, where, where the ground is left unsown or unplanted. And it's in the negatives. It's in the negative sense. OK, so it, it, it is it's your, your the heart is, is full of thorns and weeds and all of these different things. And so God leaves the ground until. Okay. Now, when God leaves the ground fallow in the negative sense, it also has another meaning. Now, last week when we ended, we said we talked primarily about it being um, uh, we talked primarily about um, it being the absence of the word. So the ground's been tilled, but the word has not been planted. And we said we need God and, and I still need God. You still need God. But when the ground is left fallow, which means that it's left unplanted during the planting season. So which means that it's it, during the season, okay, when it should be planted. Remember, we talking about from the negative sense, okay, from the negative sense. In the positive sense, it's left unplanted in order for nutrients to revitalize. And so what it represents is the season where you are hearing the word of God. You're not necessarily overly busy with the work of God, but you are ingesting the work of God so that the nutrients are being revitalized into the soil. So you're taking the word of God in, you're in a period of learning and, 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 uh, and being taught the word of God, not necessarily doing all the work. That's the positive. But in the negative sense, when God leaves a ground fallow, family and friends, when God leaves the ground fallow, the negative sense is, is where the ground is devoid of the word. And it's not because it's because the, the, the soil is being revitalized. No, not at all. But it's because more or less the ground ha- is, is, is unfit because of the, the weeds and the thorns and all of these different things. Now, if you look at Mark chapter four, look at verse 18, amen. Look at verse 18 and look at verse 19. Jesus said this, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it become what? unfruitful. Now, why is that heavy? Because Jeremiah chapter four, look at verse number three, for thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and what? Sow not among thorns, which means don't plant it among weeds and thorns. Okay. Don't plant it in the land that's, that, that, that's grown over with weeds and with thorns ground that hasn't been tilled and and broken up and all that he in jeremiah he's telling you don't he says break up the fallow ground which means get the soil ready now for us what that means when the word says break up your fallow ground what it means is it's time to surrender it means stop being resistant to the word of god it means stop fighting against god 
it would be the equivalent of, of the Lord telling Saul, who would become Paul, Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? In other words, why are you fighting against God? All the while he's thinking he's doing all this work for God, only to find out that you, man, this guy, you were about as anti-God as you can possibly get. <laughs> Saul didn't realize it at the time. So the Lord comes in and he has to check him. And he says, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? In other words, you're fighting against God. Well, in if we take that back to our scripture in Jeremiah 4, 3, for thus saith the Lord, uh, the, thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your what? Fallow ground. Okay? Break up your fallow ground. Stop being stiff-necked. Stop being hard-headed. Stop fighting for the sake of fighting. People are going to make you mad. Situations are going to wear you out. You're going to get tired at times. You're going to be disgusted. But how long do you intend to allow yourself to be so frustrated and disgusted with any and everything else that you're going to continue to refuse to do anything, including the word of God? How long you'll keep resisting the love of God? You've been living your life your own way, doing what you wanted to do. And you know it ain't right. God's already sent you time and time again, someone to tell you that you must be born again. You got to break up your fallow ground, which means you got to renounce your sin. You got to renounce your unrighteousness. You got to repent of all that. And you've got to be obedient. Brother Walker, what do I need to be obedient to? Acts chapter 2, start reading at verse 36, go all the way through to the rest of it. You'll find out. You got to be born again and you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. In other words, you need to be saved. And I want to ask somebody who's going to listen to this, no matter where you are in the world and no matter what time of day it is. God really has made you an offer that you really cannot refuse, and that is the offer to pardon your sins. But how long are you going to keep putting off this offer as if you got all the time in the world to make it? Brothers and sisters, I declare to you today that time is running out. The Lord is on his way back. And many of you are not going to be ready when he comes. You're not going to have that oil in the lamp, trimmed and burning bright. You're not going to have all of that. When the wedding feast takes place, you're not going to have your garment. You're not going to be ready. How long are we going to put off Holiness and righteousness. How long are we going to put off salvation? How long are we going to slap the hand of mercy away? You don't have all the time you think you have. 
many of you are saying, you know what? I know you're right, Brother Walker. I know that's right. I know, I, um, you know, my mom told me, my dad told me, or my uncle or somebody told me, or I ran into this man or this woman and they, and they told me, I know God was, you know, I know it's real. I know, I know, I know. You might know, but I submit that you don't get it. True enough, you came across the knowledge. But you, ma'am, you, sir, you don't get it. Because constantly putting off the salvation of your soul, just to have one more moment to work your own ways and ideas, that simply proves that you don't get it. Your soul is precious. Ezekiel chapter 18, the Lord tells us, he says, behold, all souls are mine. You think you own yourself, but let me tell you something, you don't. God created you. Now, I know some of you struggle with that because you've been indoctrinated by all the ideas and all that kind of stuff from the world, whatever. You want to believe the fairy tales of the world, man's, some of man's, you, you go do what you do. But time is running out. And for as just as much as you think you're right, the evidence is against you. That you're going to be, that you're wrong. God is real. The Bible teaches that the heavens declare the glory of God. And many of you have chosen not to accept nature for what it is. But nature itself is a grand declaration of the existence of God Almighty. Now, science and everything else might tell you otherwise, and you might choose to believe those fairy tales if you want to. But science and all that other stuff can't explain where it all came from. See, because at the end of the day, when you get done asking why and how, you always going to come down to it. There must be a God. And let me tell you right now, let me just save you some time. There is a God. His name is Jesus. And he wants to save you. You don't have a relationship with him. This means he does not acknowledge you as his child, as his son, or as his daughter. Because you are anti-God. You do your own thing. You seek to please yourself and not him. But God wants to renew you today. Wants to change your mind. But you got to break up your fallow ground. You got to stop fighting against God. I'm trying to appeal to somebody who will listen to this. You got to stop fighting against God. You got to stop thinking that you're going to somehow make it. Good is not good enough. That is why we have Jesus, because good is not good enough. 
our good is not good enough. So what did he do? He brought, God brought his good to cover your good that wasn't good enough. See, your good wasn't good enough to both pay for your sins and then also get you salvation. No, it wasn't. You just, you and I just had enough in the tank <laughs> to get judged. We had enough in the tank to pay for our sin. What does that mean? That means that we had a, we were worthy of death. We were worthy of the sentence of death that is the penalty for sin to be carried out. But what we did not have was enough to both cover the debt and then rise up and get eternal life. No. But the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary and paid for those sins in your stead, in my stead. But because he was God Almighty on, on the inside, <laughs> that grave could not keep him down. He got up the third day with all power of heaven and earth in his hand, resurrection ground. And because he got up, because he walked past onto the other side of death, He then took the right to give eternal life, which is the other side of death, to those who will repent of their sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2. Is your soul ready today? I hope it is. I hope it is. I hope it is. When God deals with fallow ground in the negative sense, we are told to break up our fallow ground in Jeremiah 4 and 3, which means it's time to stop fighting against God. He then says, and sow not among thorns. And that represents the weeds and all that kind of stuff. And we told you that that stuff, that th those things choke the nutrients. And so the word of God, which is the seed, does not get sown. God doesn't sow it into the weed. He, he tells us, because uh, it, it won't take root there. He tells us there's a danger in the seed. Now, the seed, the word of God goes everywhere. But there are some areas where it just, it ain't going, it's not going to do no good. And when the seed is sown among thorns, This thorny ground is considered fallow ground because the ground is unprofitable. The thorns and the weeds make it so that they rob the soil of the nutrients. Jesus told you in Mark 4, 18 and 19 that what the thorns actually represent are the cares of this world. It's the, it represents the deceitfulness of riches. It represents the lust for these worldly things. 
And what Jesus tells us is, is, is that what they actually do is, is that they choke the word. This is the nature of weeds that grow in a garden. They grow so rapidly and they rob so much nutrients, yet you can't do nothing with the weed. It has no profit. But because they grow so rapidly in a garden, what they do is, is that they choke out the good crop. And this is what the Lord is talking about. When God leaves the ground fallow, he leaves it that way. Not just because the seed won't take root. But it is left that way because eventually the weeds will soak up all of the nutrients and eventually they will die off. There are some people, let me bring that to the spiritual. In the negative sense, God will leave a ground fallow. When you won't surrender to God, when you won't yield to God, then what God will do many times is he'll leave you in your unyielded and your hard, heart-hardened state, allowing you to do what you want to do. And he will leave you in that state until you consume all of your resources and you run out of steam. In other words, he'll allow you to keep going until you burn yourself out and you can't go no more. Ground is sometimes left fallow in order to destroy the weeds. That's another tactic that's used. It will be left fallow so that the weeds will use up all of the nutrients. There's nothing else left, and then they will die off. In the, and if we bring that to us, bring that to our situation, then what that means is, is that God will allow you to keep doing your will, to keep doing your way until you finally get to that last place where your wheel runs out and you can't go another step further till you burn yourself out with all your foolishness and all of your sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. He'll let you keep on going until you can't go no further. And it'll be then when you are done and you have burned yourself out, you have wasted everything and you've got no other recourse, then God will step back in and say, are you ready to listen now? But let me tell you something, not even that's a guarantee because some people are so hard hard. That they don't run out of steam 
to their dying day. And then it's too late for them to get it right. Don't be that person. Don't you be that person. So the sequence of events. In verse 7, David cried out God to God, wanting him to listen. Okay? With a predetermined intent. So he wanted and he, to, to respond accordingly. So David wanted God to listen, but he wanted God to make up his mind before he listened that he was going to respond accordingly. So in other words, you know, sometimes it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, <laughs> you probably come across a person who wants you to agree. If you've ever come across somebody who wants you to agree, some agree to do something before you uh, actually, they actually tell you what it is to make that more plain. It would be the equivalent of a person saying, coming up to you saying, Hey, um, I need you to do me a favor. But they ask you to, for, to do them a favor before they tell you what the favor is, but yet they want you to agree to it. <laughs> but so David actually kind of kind of did that. He wanted God to listen to him, but he kind of wanted God to predetermine that, you know, in other words, kind of give me a yes that you're going to do this before I actually tell you what it is. That, that's kinda, it was kind of that scenario. So that's what happened in verse seven. Amen. He wanted God to. To, to listen to him, but he wanted God to listen with the predetermined intent that, that, that I'm going to answer you. I know I haven't heard what you said, but I'm going to, I'm going to answer you. Now, David knows he has faults. So before he discloses his requests, amen, he asks that mercy be applied as the filter through which God acknowledges the request. So he wants God to agree to answer a request before he actually hears the request. But David, knowing that he is a sinful person and knowing that he's subject to faults and that he can make mistakes and knowing that he might not get it right and he might not have it right, another thing that he asks for is for God to apply the filter of mercy. Be merciful. He wanted God to acknowledge the quest, request. God, I want you to acknowledge it. I know I haven't told it to you. I want you to acknowledge it. But when you do acknowledge it, I want you to acknowledge it mercifully. I want you to, I want you to operate. Why? Because what I'm getting ready to ask for, I'm still a human being. And I'm subject to make mistakes. So God, I, I want you to answer me. But I, but I also need you to, I need you to look over, I, I, but I, I concede the fact that what I'm getting ready to ask you for, God, I, I might get it all wrong. And, and, and in truth, I might not even, need, should be asking for it in the first place. So God, I want you to have mercy. Apply mercy as you listen to my request. God, as I cry out to you and I begin to ask you for X, Y, Z. I may very well get it wrong. And so I'm asking you in advance, have mercy on me. Have mercy as you listen to my request, listen through it, listen to it through the filter of mercy. Because by the time I'm done asking and I get it all out, I'm subject to have said it all wrong or thought it all and not even thought it through. And I really don't want to anger you, God. Be merciful for my shortcomings. Okay. 
That's what David was doing. And then finally in verse eight, David then cites his obedience to God as the reason for why God should deal with him or answer. So he, he, he says, God, I need you to do all of this. I need you to have mercy, listen to all this kind of stuff. But I feel like I have a right to come and ask you this because everything that you told me to do, I have done my best to try to do. What about you today? Are you doing your best to be obedient to what God has told you to do? Are you really putting in a good effort, a wholehearted effort? Are you giving it 100%? Has God given you instructions? Have God told you to do X, Y, Z and this and that? And are you doing it? Not according to your specification and not according to your liking, but are you doing it according to what he told you to do? Are you giving it your all or are you giving it a half-hearted attempt or worse yet? Are you giving God your version instead of what he asked you for specifically? You don't want to do that, brothers and sisters. We walk in sin when we do that. When God tells us to do something specifically and we refuse to do that or we give God a different version of that, you need to understand that stuff that you're doing might, some of that might be good and, 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 um, and, it, and it might be honorable and all those things, but it won't change the fact that you did not, I did not do what God told me to do. See, listen, when God tells you to do a thing, you cannot go and do a different thing even if that thing is good, and then talk about substituting that for the thing that God told you to do. Obedience is obedience. Either you do what God told, tells you to do, either I do what God told me to do, or I do not. It doesn't matter if I do something else that's good or something else that God, God likes. If I did not do what he told me to do, it does not matter how good a thing it is that I've done, it will not negate the fact that what I did in all its goodness is not what God told me to do. Therefore, it is filed under the category of disobedience. And that's not good. That's how you take a good thing and you make it bad. You can do a good thing the wrong way. You cannot do other good things in substitution of the good thing that God told you to do specifically. You got to do what he told you to do. Remember, the word of God says this, to know to do good and not do it. To him, it's sin. It is sin. That's how you take good things and turn them into sinful things. If God wanted your version, my version, he would have just, he would have left it open-ended for us to do. But when God speaks specifically, brothers and sisters, family and friends, yield to God and put everything that you can, rely on the Holy Ghost to complete that task. 
those other things are good things and 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 it's okay to ask but but don't try to do those things in substitution of what God told you to do you save that other stuff for another time and focus on the assigned task at hand amen 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 when you get to verse 9 though which is what we what we've uh read hide not thy face far from me put not thy servant away in anger thou has been my help leave me not we talked about all those things and um we talked about fallow ground and we talked about all of the and 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 the good and the positive of that but if we take a step back now and take a look at that really what we're looking at verse nine what is showing us from a high level perspective is humility David had a high regard. David had in regards, it, it shows us the humility that David had in regards to this request. Because in it, we see that David really had an understanding of God's right to respond alternatively. In other words, for God to not respond the way David wanted him to respond. We see humility in, in, in this text because David recognizes that God is sovereign and he has a right to, to respond the way he wants to. And so the language of humility is laced all the interwoven all through verse nine, especially when you hear him, when you hear him, when, uh, when you know, when he said, Lord, hide not thy face far from me put not thy servant away in anger look at this thou hast been my help then he uses another phrase oh god of my salvation david is humbling himself he's walking in humility all the while he's requesting god to do something he is not forgetting his place. He is not forgetting the responsibility to humble himself. You got to under, listen, God gives us the right to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so we should, we don't need to be afraid to come before God, but just because God has opened the door for us to come before him boldly, coming before the Lord boldly is not the same as coming before the Lord recklessly. God has opened the door for you and I to come and to bring our petitions and our requests. But you and I must still respect the fact that we are standing in the presence of the Most High, who is the ruler and creator of all things. We must not treat God as though he is common and every day. We don't do that. We must not become, for as much as God wants us to be familiar with him, don't get so familiar that you forget the language of respect and humility. David wanted God to do something, but he didn't want God to do something for him so much that he missed his opportunities to humble himself before God and say and acknowledge, God, you have been my help. He didn't lose his opportunity or miss his opportunity to acknowledge that God, it has been you 
who've been my salvation. You are my salvation. You are my deliverance. When he says, go God of my salvation, do you, do, that, that, literally, that phrase literally is him saying, God of my deliverance. But here's the kicker. It's not just a one-time deliverance. When he uses it in this phrase, it literally encompasses all the deliverance that David experienced in his entire life. And what he does is, is that he ties all of the deliverance he has ever received and experienced, and he ties it back to God. Oh, God of my salvation. Oh, God of my deliverance. Every time I've overcome a circumstance, a situation throughout my life when I was a young man and now that I'm an older man and as I go with God, listen, it is not because of my own self-righteousness or my own ability or my own talent. None of it was because of me. All of it was because of the most high. God Almighty. And David took time to acknowledge that. God is holy. Don't forget when you come before the Lord boldly, don't come recklessly acting as if God owe you something. Don't come to God with your attitude and, and all that, even if you a, a sassy attitude and all of these things, as if you just got all this power with God and you got a right. No, 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 and more no. Respect God. Humble yourself before God. Realize that God is sovereign and holy. And as much as you are asking, listen, for as much as you are asking God to do something and you have a right to ask God, you have been given permission to come boldly for, before God. For as much as you have all of those rights, guess what else? In the middle of all of that, God is sovereign, remains sovereign. And though you have right and privilege to come before God, God always retains the right to say no. You have a right to ask. All the while, God has the right to not answer. Or to not answer the way you want him to. He's sovereign. <laughs> so have respect. Don't just come to God like he got to do something for you. He don't have to do anything for you. God does not have to do anything for us. God works all things after his own desire. Look at Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained what? An inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Do you know what that means today? It means God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it because he wants to do it. And he don't have to get permission from nobody to do it. He don't have to run it by you. It doesn't matter if you're cool with it. 
doesn't know it, it doesn't bother him if whether or not you're okay none of that he is sovereign he is god almighty yes he is your friend yes he is your father but he is god as well and you and i must respect him as god Don't get so common and familiar with God that you lose your sense of respect. God does not have to do not one thing that he does for you and I. Make sure you keep that in mind. God does not have to extend grace and mercy. Look at Romans chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth. That means it's not because you want something or you making something come to fruition, nor of him that runneth. So it's not because you did some, you just desire it, nor is, because, nor is it because of all the work and everything that you done put in that makes things happen. <laughs> but of God that showeth mercy. Hope you hear that today. What God does for you, the compassion that God has on you and all that other kind of, and all the good that God does you. He ain't doing you good because you have a right to come before him. And he ain't just doing it, doing good by you and, 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 and hooking you up because you've been doing so good because of all the work you put in. Uh-uh. At the end of the day, it's mercy. And that's God giving you what you don't deserve. Brothers and sisters, we're going to stop there for today and we will pick this up on next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. I will stop the recording here. Wow.